All right, everyone. Welcome back to an awesome week here with Mike and Cade over here at Latter Day Conversations. We have a couple of awesome questions as always, and I am very grateful that we get to kind of go through them. It's always a fun learning experience for me. Um, and furthermore, if you guys ever have any questions, today we actually have another question for someone. We'll get to that in a little bit, but please feel free to reach out. There's a, an opportunity to, to send those to us and we'd love to answer them or at least discuss them and, and hopefully get a little bit closer to, to an answer for you. Um, and I'll start out this week for you, Mike. And, and the question we have here is, do we fulfill our covenant to live the law of consecration? Okay, cool. Yeah, I like this question. Um, I feel like there's, I don't know if it's a buzzword or topic right now, but being all in, um, I don't know. We may have talked about that before a little bit, or maybe it's in our backlog of questions, but this, this reminds me of it being, you know, consecrating ourselves to God or being all in the gospel, you know, sacrificing everything. I feel like all those keywords and terms come up when I think about this. Um, so do we, let's see. So the question is, do we fulfill our covenant to live the law of consecration? Right. That's what you said. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's what it is. So um, explaining the covenant, I guess, is that for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, when you go in the temple, uh, the, the full extent of the covenants that you can make with God or the promises you make with him is to covenant everything, all that you have, your time, money, possessions, talents, everything, you consecrate that over to God. And so, Man, that's, that's, I mean, the superlative order of sacrifice and consecration. So it's one of those laws that I feel like, can anyone do it perfectly? No, probably not. I think that's the ultimate crowning uh, commandment. And if you're living that, you're, I mean, you're living the celestial law, I think. Um, but I think we can, we can interpret it on a kind of practical level, and we can, we can find ways in our lives that are very clear indicators that we're not living it, you know, if we're complaining about going to nine o'clock church on a Sunday. It's like, how are you consecrating <laughs> your time, talents and possessions? You know, if you're complaining, you can't wake up at a reasonable time to get to church. So, uh, you know, I think we really struggle with this a lot in these days, especially with the backdrop of our pioneer uh, heritage and ancestors, you know, only 100, 200 years ago who created this land for us, tilled it and um, cultivated it for us. And they had, huge tremendous sacrifices they literally gave up every single thing they have every cent and um you know in light of that man i think we fall short many times so that's that's my answer for now i think there's a lot of places we could go with this but but that's where i'll i'll take it for now yeah i like it uh and that's that's similar line as, as kind of where i'd go um that you know first and foremost that you know this covenant we make is to devote all of our time talents and means uh, everything that we have and are and never will be to the building up of the kingdom of God on earth and the establishment of Zion. And uh, just to continue off the, the path that you're saying, it, it, in a real sense, there's a lot of differences between what we do now and what they did in the early church. For example, uh, they did have the United Order or the United Firm, right? Where uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't communal property, but you would literally consecrate all that you had to the church, um, to the United Order or the United Firm, as it was once called. Uh, and they would redistribute that to different stewards. So you would own that personal property yourself and you would be a steward over that property. Um, but it was always entered in freely and, and uh, you'd basically give your goods to the bishop and he'd redistribute it uh, according to the needs and, and desires of uh, those people. And uh, in a real sense, we, we don't do that. So in the sense of, of money is just kind of what I'm, I'm talking about right now is uh, definitely not uh, in, in that full sense where everything that we have is God's, right? Um, and we don't practice the United Order or the United Firm uh, today. It was, it was disbanded. Uh, Brigham Young brought it back in Utah for a little while, but it was disbanded after a little bit. And uh, nowadays we have we have welfare programs, right? We do fast offerings. You can you can donate to uh, temple funds, to missionary funds, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but but there's there's no organization in the church right now today where uh, you give everything you have to the bishop essentially and and they redistribute it like it has been uh, written out in doctrine and covenants and you can find more about that in dnc 103 through 105 i believe um but there's there's actually a really good talk by uh marion g romney i, I believe it's in the enzyme but it, it, i think it's called the purpose of church welfare services but he essentially discusses that uh while we are living in essentially a, a little bit of a lower law today right while we're well 
uh, this is in the 70s or 80s where they were starting to implement uh, uh, you know the, the missionary fund and all this kind of stuff and um, he essentially says that th th this stuff is going to lead up to fully living the, the law of consecration one step at a time essentially right um, and so I, I think one thing that we can do today to, to see how far we're willing to go or if we will truly live up to our covenants is well do we live up to what we're asked to do today which definitely is not the full law of consecration, which we covenant to live in today, right? Um, do we do we pay our tithing? Which is, is definitely not, just to clarify, I've had some people confused on that, that the law of tithing is, is not the law of consecration. It is a lesser law, but as a law that we're asked to live nonetheless. But I, I think if you're not able or, or willing to, to pay 10% of your income or your increase that you obtain, uh, then it would be very difficult for you to live a higher law than that. And so that's just kind of my thoughts on on, on the money side of things. But time-wise, I actually, I was talking with, I was over at a friend's house just a few weeks ago, and um, I was talking with one of the guys over there, and, and we were just discussing callings and stuff like that and some other church things. But but he just made mention, he, he was like, you know, I, I've had like a few callings extended to me, which I, I've I've turned down, right? And I think that there are, is an appropriate time and a place, you know, when, you know, you'd need to disclose certain things that you might not have disclosed to a bishop or whatever. But, but I think more rare than not, if you have made a covenant to give all of your time to God, um, yeah, that, that, that's not an easy thing. But 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 I think to partially live that, you you, you don't turn down a calling. You you try to magnify the callings that you do receive, um, and you know you do visit the sick and the afflicted and, and so on and so forth. But I, but I think that, that that's kind of the basis that we should start on it at the very least. And if we're, if we're not to the point where we're doing what we're supposed to do right now, I think it's going to be very difficult for us to live a higher law. Mm, yeah, man. Well, while you're speaking, there are so many things on my mind of directions I want to take this. Um, so I'll try one at a time here. Uh, first question, we can consider this together and we're, we're, you're kind of already talking about it, but what are the, the biggest hindrances right now or signs that we are failing to, you know, so we're struggling with consecration. So you mentioned tithing. If we're struggling with tithing, yeah, that's a huge indicator. Or time, if we're not willing to accept a calling, you know, and of course, we're not talking about the exception. So, you know, if someone's like, well, I had a broken leg and, you know, yeah, we're not talking about you. I mean, most people though, yeah, you should accept every calling that's, you know, they're extending to you. This is, you know, God's anointed servants are asking you to do something. Maybe it'll stretch you. Maybe it'll pull you. Maybe it'll, uh, you know, put strain on your schedule but uh yeah that's a that's a big thing there um using your talents and your time so uh i don't know are there any other things on your mind that come up that just really seem to i don't know baffle you or or contradict you know when you see someone doing that and you're like how can we go to the temple and make this covenant of yes you know put our hands to the square and say yes i do covenant this yeah. you know all my time talents and this and but then this behavior contradicts that are there any other behaviors you can think of well uh, there, there, there's a lot and i think it, it comes down to a lot of those little things that do take up time right and, and that, that's a difficult thing right but but time's an important thing and I, I think first and foremost you know church attendance that's kind of a, a fairly obvious one temple attendance right salvation for not just the living but for the dead as well um and, and, you know, everyone does that to their own degree as well. But it, there are so many things, scripture study, you know, just prayer, just these little chunks of time that, that add up to quite a bit over a lifetime, you know, yeah. um, including keeping the Sabbath day holy, right? And it's these basic commandments that it kind of comes back to. Um, but but I'll even add a little bit further on on callings even. I, I know of, of bishops that have been called and, and the day before they were called, they were smoking and drinking and, and whatnot, and they accepted their calling and, and it was a blessing for them and for their ward. And so I, I think it's it's a caution as well just to, you know, everyone goes through things and everyone has things going on. As long as you're open with whoever is giving you the calling, so long as they're guided by the Spirit, and um, I think we should be more willing than I think we often are. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally with you. And if, if you want good examples of that, like you said, back in the day or maybe even not so far distant uh you'll see many examples of that it reminds me of the video only a stone cutter have you seen that one uh, i i have yeah yeah that's a really that's really a good one great story a guy gets his leg broken from from his cow and he he had been making this long trek i don't know how many miles he had to get up super early i think it was like 20 miles or something maybe that was both ways and uh 
to work on the temple as a stone cutter. And after he broke his leg, everyone assumed that, yeah, you're, you're released, you know, you don't have to do that. But he, that's not how it was in his mind. He's like, no, I, I've still been called to this. I need to fulfill my duty. And he, and he still made the trek. I think he made himself a prosthetic leg out of wood and still got up er earlier to make the, the journey there. Uh, I don't know if I'm missing any details, Cade. You might be able to refresh it, but uh, yeah, it's an amazing story. Yeah, no, and I think I think that's a general principle, right? If you're not willing to or or trying to sacrifice for God and for His work and, and building up the kingdom of God on earth, uh, then which is a lower law, that law of sacrifice than the law of consecration, then that's going to be very difficult for you to do. And so I think that's just a general rule. And and, and I will admit it's it's a difficult thing to understand to what point we're supposed to live. I will suggest at very least we, we don't covenant to live the law of consecration in some future day. That much I will say. Um, right. It, it's been discussed by some people. And, and I think that's a hard thing that, that you know, I mean, it would be a lot simpler, I think, to live the law of consecration if we did have the uh, United Order, or the United Firm, where you're just expected to to give everything you have to the bishop, and then it's redistributed to different stewards. But uh, supposedly, uh, they they suppose that uh, that won't happen until uh, Zion is redeemed, right? If you remember, uh, they went back and tried to redeem Zion, but it wasn't because we weren't ready for it. But in DNC 105. But anyway, I, I think that that's a good principle that y you follow what you need to, what we're asked to do right now. And, and if you're not doing that, then I don't think that you're going to be able to, or willing to live that law of consecration. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So um, another thought on, on my mind on this topic is that quote from Joseph Smith, and I pulled it up here. It says a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation. Um, we see that in the patriarchs, we see that in so many righteous people in scriptures that uh, they really did uh, have to give up or be willing to sacrifice the things that were most dear to them. Um, in Abraham's case, his, his son Isaac, who um, you know was seemingly the only vessel through which the promise God made him could be fulfilled. Um, and many others have had other trying circumstances. So um, I think there's some overlap with sacrifice and consecration but there's power in that in sacrificing but here's the thing that uh, came up on my mind it's not like we're just you know begrudgingly giving up these things or just being stripped of every ounce of possession and uh status or anything we have in life you know it's i think there are some cults out there that you know rob people of all their money all their identity and uh, it does not improve the person's life, obviously, because it's for a negative cause. But um, just because you're giving up something does not mean it's virtuous. And so I think there's something higher here, something deeper in this. And it, it reminds me of uh, Elder Uchtdorf's talk from conference. It's called Our Heartfelt All. And I just want to read one part of it here. It says, consecration is different from sacrifice in at least one important way. When we consecrate something, we don't leave it to be consumed upon the altar. Rather, we put it to use in the Lord's service. We dedicate it to him and his holy purposes. Um, oh, and the last line's good too, so I'll read it. We receive the talents that the Lord has given us and strive to increase them manifold to become um, even more helpful in building the Lord's kingdom. So, um, yeah, I think that puts a, a good view on what consecration can mean but yeah i yeah some thoughts i love that that's that's a similar line of thought of kind of what jeffrey r holland talks about he's you know he's been asked before if he would give his life for the gospel and he says well that's exactly what i'm doing every single day right that there's a, a difference between consuming something upon the altar and and going out and using that you know every single day and uh, I, th I think I can think of at least one example. I, I actually recently met a guy that uh, over at a job that <clears throat> was, I mean, just, just incredible. I was, I was amazed at how diligent he was at trying to do everything he could. And so he, he does very well for himself, but he, he, don't, he, he spends a lot of time donating Book of Mormons to the church. He'll buy Book of Mormons and donate them to the church. Um, and, and he's donated hundreds of thousands of them. And um, on top of that, he was called to be his his uh, ward um, emergency preparedness uh, guy, I guess, whatever you call that. 
And so he went out and, and bought thousands of pounds of stuff and, and added a whole new room to his house. And I'm not saying that, and, and, and the guy has, I mean, he, he, he makes what he needs to make and, and keeps that. And that's about all he lives off of, you know, that in retirement. And it's uh, I don't know. It was at least for me, a, a very, a very powerful example to see how far some people really do go to consecrate their lives. Right. If, if you're a good piano player to go out and, and share the gospel through music to, to do uh, the organ during church or whatever it is, you know, I think at very least do what you're asked, but also consecrate all that you are, have, and ever will have. Hmm. Well, that makes me realize, um, and I think you were making this point earlier, but we can really live a high degree of the law of consecration, at least kind of in our hearts, uh, even though it may not look the you know way on the outside, but like that example of the guy you gave, he's, he's living that law, you know, um, he is really consecrating himself to God, even though we're not in the United Order yet. So I think the transition to the United Order and to the celestial ways that God, uh, you know, his design is, will be so much easier for that guy. And I think um, those of us who, you know, have put our hearts more upon careers and finances, even above our families and such, and, you know, people who chase the careers uh, with more passion than they do the, the nurture of their family and the providence of their family, uh, man, I think they they probably feel a huge entitlement to their wealth. And so distributing their wealth among others is going to be super hard for them because they're going to be like, no, I deserve my wealth. I earned it fair and square. This poor schmub over here did not earn it. That's my money. You know, can you imagine <laughs> how hard that would be? Like if, yeah. if you're Mitt Romney, I'm not saying that I don't know where his heart is. I, who knows? But anyway, you know, he's got he's loaded. He's got tons of money and he's a member of the church. So how would it be for him to be leveled down to the lowest member, you know, and to just have the same, same means given to him, the same clothes and stuff? I don't know. It would be a huge test of, of him yeah. or anyone in that circumstance. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing I, I think we need to realize about the gospel, too, is the gospel has never, ever declared itself to be easy. It, it's never been the, the easiest path. And if it were, it, it probably would be a cheaper experience than it is. Um, but yeah, that's, that's such a good point. And, and the scriptures even kind of talk about this, that the, the rich will be humbled doing, you know, living this, this celestial order and the, the poor shall be exalted is what it says. And, and I think that that's such an important fact to see that this is not an easy thing. This is, I mean, you can't go any farther than, than living this law, right? Cause this law in, in a real sense encompasses every other law that we covenant to live. Right. So I do, mean, you, if, do you think that's one of the reasons why the the harder you know for a rich man to go through the or get into the kingdom of heaven than go through the eye of a needle on a camel man i jumbled the words up there but you guys <laughs> all know what i'm talking about yeah yeah you know i I've, I've actually pondered that quite a bit and um i i honestly feel like it, it's an interesting thing at very least to note that jesus christ during his life surrounded himself with poorer people right with 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 sinners with with these these uh you know people who'd go about and these harlots right essentially and and he'd chastise who these pharisees and sadducees who'd dress up in really nice apparel who'd go out and and you know live their law to the perfect extent that they did right but they would never have that spirit with them um that they were very superficial in a way right um but he he loved these and, and not that he didn't love them but but if there's anyone he chastises in in the new testament it's it's the pharisees and the sadducees and and, and the publicans, right? It, it's the, it's these, the, the scribes, it's, it's these people who are, um, I don't know, a little more well off and, and more worried about those particulars than it is the others. And I, I think that one of the hardest things to recognize in this life is we'll be judged not only on our actions, but on our desires. And if our desires are always encompassed on, on money, on wealth, on things that'll just dissipate after this life, right? Do you think God's ever worried about not having enough gold or not having enough, what, whatever that is? But the only thing he genuinely cares about is, is his people, right? It, 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 it's about his children. It's about his covenants. It's about exalting people. That's the entire work. And if we can figure out enjoying that work ourselves, I think the next life we will continue to do so as well. But I think that there's that that challenge that if if we're if we're the opposite, right? If we're always concerned about wealth and that's all we care about, if we're if we're so 
consistently worried about that and nothing else it's it's very difficult to to find that passion for the gospel to to truly care about the the poor and the needy that so far as i've read the scriptures the only exception for wanting to search after wealth is to help others essentially and uh i i think that that's kind of why christ goes about and says you know it's it's harder for rich men to enter into the kingdom of heaven than than uh, a camel through the eye of a needle at least to some degree yeah yeah wow well i think uh that is interesting you you answered also one of one other question i was gonna pose but it was kind of like why why do we think god proposes this united order is it more for practicality sake like he needs needs the money of everyone in order to supply supply the needs of everyone or is it more of he presents this law because of what it does to our hearts and the people who live the law. And uh, I think from what you're saying, it's more of the latter, like God really has the means to provide for everyone, uh, you know, to a bounteous degree, but maybe there's something about that. Like, you know, you, you can't be a celestial being or God and you can't be meek and humble and have all those attributes without being willing to just, give it all up for those around you and to, to live on the same level as even the lowest person, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree hundred percent. And going back to the quote that you quoted from Joseph Smith, right. That uh, in order to produce the faith sufficient uh, for salvation, you do need to be able, be willing to sacrifice everything. And that's, that's not an easy thing, but I, I will suggest that there's great and incredible blessings that come from that. Right. I mean, if you look through the scriptures and, and find people who live these laws very well, like Nephi and his family, right. They, they are obedient. They sacrificed quite a bit. They lived the law of the gospel as much as they could. And they were chased, right. They went and got married and they, they consecrated everything. They're wandering through the wilderness, right. Doing whatever the Lord told them to. And, and, and you see the incredible manifestations and, and blessings that they enjoyed. And I think that that's, that's a true thing that we learn even in the temple, right? As you progress, there's certain laws and, and based off those laws that you live, there are certain blessings that you will enjoy. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm just thinking, that was kind of my last thought on this, but you know, it, it is so obvious and manifest, manifestly apparent. Uh, when you look at money, you follow the money with the people and uh, you know, the correlation with happiness doesn't, follow it linearly or proportionally it's you know there i guess there is some degree of um i think life satisfaction that comes from a little bit of money when you have your basic needs met but after that money has no power for you uh you know the people who have the most money oftentimes are least satisfied and you know they're going through their third divorce and you hear about them in the tabloids and um all that kind of stuff and then you have other people in third world countries that are like singing and dancing every night. And they, you know, they, they don't know where their next meal is coming from, but they can be at a, a satisfaction level that is, you know, uh, just incredible and an outlier to the American way of life, even though we're coated with so much luxury. So yeah, I think God has our interest in well-being and satisfaction uh, as a high priority. And that's why he proposes these laws. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree 100%, you know, consider the lilies in the field, right? But um, yeah, yeah uh, that's pretty much all I have to say on that. I think that uh, we definitely have room to grow. That's that's where I'll leave that at. And I think it's easy to at least start recognizing easier, uh, looking at what you are doing now and what you're asked to do now and, and perhaps those that you aren't asked to do. Um, and I think that's how you can kind of determine which direction uh, you, you ought to go. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I think we could have railed harder on people, but count you guys as selves lucky for us taking it easy on you guys and spending more time on the the other tangents on this topic. <laughs> anyway, okay, want to move on to the next question? I'll ask you. Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, um, this question was actually proposed to us by a listener. So just to remind you guys, you can ask us questions. We have a Google form in the show notes on every episode. Um, you can contact us that way. Um, and yeah, shoot us any questions or comments or any thoughts you have on any episode. So anyway, we'll get going with this one. What is the endowing power we receive at the temple and how is it different from regular blessings we obtain by faith? That is a good and actually very interesting question. Um, first and foremost, I would suggest that 
in the temple, there are certain blessings that you can only ever receive through there, through make through enjoying and participating in ordinances and making covenants with God, that you can never receive worlds without end, without them. That, uh, for for example, and in, in order to enter the celestial kingdom, unless you're you're a child that dies before the age of eight, and you can never enter into the celestial kingdom and dwell there. Uh, unless you're baptized, right? And so on and so forth until ceilings where you can enter into the third degree of the celestial kingdom, right? Uh, otherwise, if you do not, uh, you will be, as the scriptures say, an angel uh, unto gods forever and ever, right? And that's hopefully not what you want to do. Um, but more specifically with the endowment, what, what what is the difference between the power that we receive at the temple and in the endowment and the blessings that we receive by faith. I, I think first and foremost, one of the biggest things we get, at least I would say, is, is certain keys of, of knowledge uh, that you, you learn there and you enjoy there and a certain spirit that you can enjoy that you can't get anywhere else, right? Um, I know uh, I've actually been recently going through some of Joseph Smith's teachings and, and over and over and over again through his Nauvoo period, he goes through and, and discusses first and foremost that uh, he, he excites these saints about it. He's like, hey, once this temple is created, I'm going to teach you elders and you sisters about how to uh, discern false spirits and personages and detect those from true ones. Right? So that's first and foremost, keys to discern uh, true spirits and false spirits, right? Uh, which, which I think you can read about a little bit in DNC 129, um, which I would suggest, though it talks about uh, extending your hand to them that uh, it's it's more temple related than the doctrine of covenant suggests um two I, I, he talks about uh revelation right keys of revelation that uh, not only are you able to detect those things that are false but uh, that you're able to go out and and learn how to ask so that you can receive answers so that's a, a second thing right you learn the true order of prayer in, in a real and true sense um three he he, he kind of talks about uh he talks about how after you go through this process, you're not only to be able to enjoy the privilege of having angels not being able to res be restrained from being your associates, is what he says, um, but also you can come into the presence of God. And so in the temple, there are so many blessings, and these are just a few of them that, that we learn in the temple that um, are distinctly different from anything you will enjoy by faith and faith alone. Hmm. Yeah, so I think... Uh... Yeah, the, I, I totally agree with that. I'm glad you, you pulled those up and uh, recited them in a, a very organized manner. That was really helpful. So you said those are mostly pulled from uh, Joseph Smith's quotes? Yeah, yeah. So those are uh, from Joseph Smith's teachings in, in the Nauvoo era uh, before the uh, Nauvoo Temple was completed. Um, and, and, and it's also partially from what we've already learned in the temple. I mean, those are just things that you will enjoy, but they, they're, they're all throughout his teachings. He goes out and I mean, one of the biggest things I noticed over and over and over again, is he talks about discerning spirits like over and over and over again. Like, I don't even know how to explain. It's almost every sermon that, I, that he, that, that we have accounts of, right. Contemporary accounts, but still nonetheless, that's, that's a very prominent uh, thing that he talks about. Um, and I'd suggest that that's a very important thing to learn, right? If you're not able to distinguish uh, the spirit, from other, other false spirits what, or even your own thoughts, um, you learn quite a bit in the temple about how to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You pulled that up so much because you're, you know, it makes you wonder like how um, frequent or, you know, common was this need to detect false spirits and apparently more common than we, we thought, at least then and probably now too. And I think you can interpret that on a kind of superficial level and say, yeah, we, you need to know that the spirit is peaceful and not mix it up with, uh, you know, a stupor of thought. But also it can be in a literal sense of actual beings who are appearing to you and detecting the false ones from the true ones. It reminds me, um, I may be getting some of the details wrong here, but I remember one story from Joseph Smith where a guy told him that he had seen an angel. And Joseph Smith says, well, what did he look like? And he described the angel in the clothing. He's like, no, that was not an angel of God. And the guy got so mad. He's like, what? No, it was. And Joseph Smith's like, nope, it wasn't. 
because <laughs> he knew by the way it looked and he's like no that doesn't match the right description anyway um no, not to get too- it, it, no that's exactly right and there's other accounts you know they'd be like oh well they had wings and he's like no it's not an angel they don't, they don't actually have wings and so <laughs> yeah. yeah some people get mad at that but anyway um yeah not to get too far off but uh, yeah i like that i think endowing power is really um you know when we do the endowments it's like uh, boyd k packer says here's in his talk come to the temple um he, he actually quotes brigham young saying this but he gives the a very common and great in, uh definition of the endowment it says let me give you a brief or a definition in brief your endowment is to receive all those ordinances in the house of the lord which are necessary for you after you've departed this life to enable you to walk back to the presence of the Father, passing the angels who stand as sentinels, being enabled to give them the key words, the signs, and tokens pertaining to the holy priesthood, and gain your eternal exaltation in spite of earth and hell. So I think the endowment is a, a gift of power and instruction. We gain knowledge and instruction. It's very instructional. And uh, you mentioned how, what it instructs us to do, Cade, uh, some of those things. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of that blessing will come after this life of, you know, having the knowledge and instruction of how to walk back into the presence of God. And, um, you know, even some of that instruction, I think, can yield that benefit even in this life if we follow that instruction well. And, Kate, you mentioned this, and I kind of want to talk about this. So the true order of prayer, we're, we're talked about how to ask and receive answers, to knock and to seek. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it seems like, you know, it's not really publicly discussed of whether we should be doing, you know, using those those um, temple practices outside of the temple. Or when we are in the temple, we're not the ones who, you know, get to conduct the, the true order of prayer. We participate in it. So I don't know, you know, can we use that outside of the temple? And uh, I know some of these questions, you know, they aren't talked about a lot, so we may not have answers. But um, some of those blessings you you mentioned before, I just wonder how can we apply those in our lives? Well, uh, that's a really good question. I think so far as I know, I've never read anything officially from the brethren themselves saying that we cannot do that. However, um, we do make certain covenants not to reveal certain things, uh, th- those uh, signs, tokens, and names together, right? Um, and so I, I would suggest perhaps you are able to, but I would not necessarily go so far as to say I endorse this myself, but I will say at very least that there are principles within how that prayer is done that you can apply in your life to further learn how to access the power of God in your life. Um, for Just for one example I'll give is um, a, a prayer circle, right? To, to pray as a family, for example, right? Husband and wife kneeling together and uh, by your bed or somewhere where you can often go and pray and uh, to, to pray with fervence, right? To call upon God and ask him to hear your voice and to ensure that he does listen. And, and that's something that the prophet taught prominently uh, many, many times, right? Pleaded unto God until you receive an answer, right? For example, there's, there's an account, I, I believe, uh, I know, I believe it was William Clayton, but I could be wrong on that one. Uh, but it was in the, the school of the prophets, right? And they were gathered together and essentially, and I can find the, the link to, to this account, but um, essentially they're praying and stuff. And then Joseph tells them, he's like, okay, brethren, I want you all to kneel down and, and, and pray. And, and I want you to call it to God until, until you're Jesus Christ essentially. And, and they do, and they do enjoy that experience. Um, but he, but he tells them and he, and he teaches them to weary the Lord until they receive what they want. Right. Um, and, and I think obviously without this goes without saying that that has to be a righteous and, and a good desire. Right. Um, but, but there are many blessings that we can obtain and sometimes you just have to pray for it like Enos, right? With a, with a very, very strong faith and desire. Um, and, and some things don't come without fasting and, and diligence and righteousness, obviously. But um, there, there are definitely principles in, in uh, the true order of prayer that we can apply. Whether or not we are allowed to do that at home, I'd, I would probably say it's probably best not to. Um, at least for now, if I find anything that says otherwise, I mean, I, I guess there's, I'll, I'll stay silent on that matter. You do you. Do you. <laughs> yeah, I like that. 
Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one because especially and we've talked about this a little off uh, record, Kate. And um, yeah, I mean, some of the quotes from Joseph Smith in the early church, it, um, you know, it seems to be something that was suggested to be applied outside of the temple a little bit. You could you could take it that way, but yeah, the the way we treat it today, it seems um, maybe not so, and something we should be cautious with. So. I don't know what the proper instruction is either on that um, one way or the other, but it is interesting. Um, but yeah. I think that at the very least we can take this, this power and the things we learn in the temple to be very instructional. Um, the temple is not supposed to just merely feel peaceful and nice and fluffy. You know, it's supposed to teach you something that you remember that you apply in your life and that you will use later to pass sentinels, uh, you know, and to return to God. And anyway, so yeah, I like that. Also, um, I think in Tao in the New Testament or somewhere where it's used, it comes from the Greek word or whatever, to clothe. So to endow is to clothe or to give power. I know often there's an association with like robes and clothing and power and authority. So I think uh, that association is appropriate for the temple. And when we are endowed with this gift, we are also clothed with, with righteousness and power and authority if we apply those, those instructions we've received. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll, I'll even just read real quick. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures kind of related to ordinances and everything is uh, w- w- one distinction first and foremost, right? Between Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood uh, keys and ordinances, right? Aaronic priesthood holds the keys to the ministering of angels and the gospel of repentance. Right. But uh, in DNC 84, it talks about, it says, uh, it says, and this greater priesthood, uh, administereth the gospel and holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God, right? And the Melchizedek priesthood is what administers the ordinances in the temple today. Um, now it continues and says, therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. And so I would suggest that even just participating in these ordinances alone, there is a spirit, there is a power, there is a blessing that you can obtain and will obtain if you are righteous and diligent and seeking after it that you cannot receive no matter the size of your faith, right? That there are some things that God has ordained that be found only within his priesthood authority. There are certain keys that that apply to that and those blessings... um, Worlds without end cannot be obtained, save it be through the proper authorized channels that God has ordained. Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, so the Aaronic priesthood can even hold like the keys of ministering of angels. Is that right? But the, the Melchizedek is more of the like receiving the, the knowledge of God and the higher mysteries and learning those things. Yeah, correct. So, so DNC 84 talks about the keys of the Melchizedek priesthood to some degree. That is the keys of the mysteries of the kingdom and the key of the knowledge of God. And uh, DNC 13 is where John the Baptist comes and, and basically teaches him and, and Joseph Smith that uh, that holds the keys of the uh, ministering of angels, gospel of repentance. Um, and yeah, they, they are distinct. And you can see that in the ordinances, right? For example, the Aaronic ordinances, right? The bishop is an Aaronic office and he administers over the sacrament. That's one of his du- one of his duties, right? But the sacrament is done by priests who are uh, in the Aaronic office. And, and what is the sacrament focused on? Well, repentance, right? It's the gospel of repentance. And, and uh, the, the keys of the Melchizedek priesthood uh, are of the mysteries of God the, uh, and uh, even the knowledge of God. And you can see that, right? Where the gift of the Holy Ghost, for example, is is only to be obtained through the Melchizedek priesthood. And that gift of the Holy Ghost is an incredible gift if you truly enjoy it, right? It'll teach you so much that you could never have learned ever, no matter how hard you tried to study and learn from books and whatever, uh, unless you go through that. And you can see that through the Melchizedek priesthood ordinances in the temple, right? Through your washings and your anointings, that there are blessings and 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 things that you learn that you will obtain if you pay attention to what is taught over and over and over again, that you will learn some some secrets, essentially, some keys that, as Joseph Smith often says, that do not rest. Mm. Man, well, that's great. Great material. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a satisfactory answer, I hope, um, to our listeners and the listener who asked that. Um, so, yeah, I like it. you have any other thoughts you want to add to that one, Cade? I think we said some great stuff there. Yeah, no, that's all I got for that. Uh, do you want me to move on to the next question? Sure, let's go. Okay. 
All right. So this next one is for you, Mike. It is, what does it mean to know God? And can we know him in this life? Okay. So, um, man, well, that's actually pretty good overlap from what we were talking about. Um, let's see. So, you know, the first thing, I didn't have this prepared, but there's the, the scripture in the New Testament that says to know, what is it, Cade? What am I thinking of? Um, John, or is it 17.3? Yeah. And, and this is life eternal to know the only true, is that the one? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. The only okay. true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, something like that. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it makes me think of. But uh, yeah, a very high high gift and privilege. And, you know, without a, a studied perspective on this, I think we just use the word no uh, kind of colloquially. And we just, you know, people know, use that today as like, yeah, I know, I know of him. I know God. And so... Um, I think people might even mistakenly use this uh, without using the, the terminology that the scriptures refers to, you know, if they're bearing their testimony or something, they'll say, I know this is true, or I know God even, which is a deeper and more intimate sense of the word. So um, the understanding that I've uh, come to is that to know God is not to know of him, but is to personally know him as someone else you, you know, intimately um, that you speak with face to face or that you, you know, have intimate association with. So to know God is, I think, to have spoken with him face to face like Moses or um, to walk with him like um, Enoch. And I think many of the prophets, you know, maybe all of them have um, received this kind of knowledge or most of them. And yeah, it is not a light uh, term. It is not something that's superficial. It is definitely a very deep knowledge. And can we know him in this life? Certainly. Yeah. I mean, just listen to, just listen to all of Bruce R. McConkie's talks. I think, <laughs> I think that'll give you the answer somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does. There's actually one uh, by him. I, I believe it's a BYU speech. It's uh, called call, uh, making your calling an election. Sure. And oh, nice. He discusses this a little bit as well, but I'll look that up. Uh, and I haven't notes. listened to that in a while. Okay. Yeah, that's a really good one. But uh, I, I love the direction you're heading. I actually, uh, without even trying to look into this at all, I, I was reading through Joseph Smith's sermons uh, in 1842, and he, he mentions this. He says, uh, no one can say he truly knows God until he has handled something. And this can only be done in the holiest of holies. And um, I thought that was very interesting, right? Because I, I wasn't even particularly looking for this, but it, it literally just came across. I mean, perfect timing too. But what um, the man? You gotta send me that link. What what is that from? So this is from uh, it's from Joseph Smith's contemporary accounts in 1842, and I could give you that link and send that to you. Oh, but, man, interesting. But yeah, so I'll, I'll read that one more time for you. It's it's no one can say he truly knows God until he has handled something, and this can only be done in the holiest of holies. Oh, and so I, I think at least a little bit doctrinally, uh, what he's what he's talking about is making your calling election sure, right through the through the holy uh, Melchizedek priesthood, right? That men have been ordained. There's a a way that your endowments and sealings can be sealed upon you um, unconditionally, right? After you have fulfilled that faithfulness requirement that you are covenanted uh, to to obey, right? And uh, I don't think very many people know this, but every temple actually has a holy of holies in it right there's a, a ceiling room in every temple at very least that has a, a locked door in it uh where they have a holy of holies where they perform this this second anointing or uh make their calling and election sure and it's a it's a very sacred ordinance that uh relatively few uh ever enjoy but uh purportedly after receiving this ordinance one of the blessings is that you will be able to enjoy the visitation of christ uh here and there right to have that second comforter come and visit you uh here and there as time progresses wow interesting i'll have to talk to you more about that off record so anyway yeah <laughs> that's, that's cool man uh so what do you think uh, do you think it goes even deeper than um i don't know just someone maybe who has who has seen god which is an amazing and marvelous experience and some of his apostles and um anyone who's a witness of the resurrected christ you think that is the same or is that um, kind of a lesser thing or different? Good question. Um, and th this is something I, I thought about as well, right? Because we, we've discussed this before that obviously there are some prophets and apostles that have not seen him, 
right? And uh, anyway, long story short, uh, the, the conclusion I've come to is the only thing that someone can do that is unforgivable in this world and in the next is to deny the Holy Spirit, right? To, to deny the, the Holy Ghost. And uh, I found that very interesting. It's, it's not to deny Jesus Christ. It's not to deny Heavenly Father. It's to deny that testimony that is so deep and so powerful that I think it goes beyond physical touch or or sight, or hearing, or whatever it might be, right? And and, and that is a testimony that if you deny, um, that you truly will um, not be able to be forgiven for that. Right? And I think that goes a little bit in the line of, of apostates a little bit more so than, than I think we often think. But but yeah, just to kind of go along that line, I I really believe that while you can truly know God and, and enjoy, you know, handle him just like the, the Nephites did in third Nephi 11, right. Uh, where they did, you know, touch the, the marks in his hands and in his feet and did know that he was God, right. That, that that's a special experience. Um, but that being said, I, I think that in a real and true sense, there's a, a testimony that you can obtain that is beyond physical touch and sight. Okay. So that goes to the point that, even though apostles may not have had this knowledge in some cases, um, I mean, the knowledge of seeing Christ, they do have that. They always should have that uh, testimony from the Holy ghost or otherwise of the resurrected Christ. Is that what you're saying? And that, and that it is a deeper one, even though in science, we may not, you know, think it's empirically as sufficient, yeah. but uh, certainly. Right. And, and I would suggest that this is beyond what most members enjoy, right? This is not just your, Oh yeah, I believe in Christ. Or I know, you know, like, like you hear in sacrament meeting, right? That's, that's very different. And we've discussed this a little bit, but, but yeah, I, I do believe that. And even Harold B. Lee before he died and he, he talks about, he's like, you know, I recently have had some very sacred experiences and maybe one day I'll tell you, but he ended up dying before he did so far as I've been able to find. And uh, he, he, he describes, he says, I know with a power beyond sight that Jesus does live. Right, that he is the Christ and so on and so forth. And uh, I, I think that we can recognize that there is a powerful spiritual experience that people can enjoy um, that, that no matter, you know, how, how deceived you might ever be with your eyes or, you know, how, how much you not might not be able to truly trust your senses to a full degree that you can never deny, right? No more than you could die, deny that you're alive and, and existing right now. Yeah. Oh, I think that's pretty merciful of God. And, you know, he's not looking for where he can sneak in unpardonable sins. He's like, oh, I'm going to get you here. You know, he, he doesn't want to have those to even exist. <laughs> but, you know, he makes it very, very difficult. But that is one that is, is just utter and pure enmity and rebellion against God, because um, you're not doubting something that, you know, is insufficient evidence. You're, you're actively rejecting something that is imprinted into your knowledge um, that you couldn't deny, but you can reject it. Um, so yeah, that, that is interesting. And I've heard a quote, I don't know what the source of this, so maybe I shouldn't say it, but um, it's the one about those who commit the unpardonable sin aren't forgiven. They're un it can't be forgiven because people who reach that point can't repent. Otherwise they could be forgiven, but they have reached a point where they are unable to repent have you heard something like that before Cade? if not let's just throw that out and say it's not a quote here say it one more time sorry so it's uh it's the idea that someone who's committed the unpardonable sin unforgivable sin um they could be forgiven if they could repent but people who reach that point are incapable of repenting Okay. Yeah. I, I, I see kind of what you're heading to, I think, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, kind of the belief that um, the reason why those who are unforgivable is less that God wouldn't forgive them and more that they just won't accept his forgiveness. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I, 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 I somewhat believe that to a degree, actually. Uh, it, it seems to me that God really does forgive everything and anything so long as people do repent. Right. I mean, that's just the condition for everything. And, and sometimes if, right, if you don't repent, you will suffer for your sins. Right. But um, for those who, who essentially deny the Holy ghost often to deny that Holy ghost or to deny that witness of the Holy ghost, you have to 
as Joseph Smith says, deny that the sun is shining while it's shining down upon you, right? You have to essentially deny reality as you know it exists exactly as it is. And, and I think more than not, that goes to those who have gone out of their way to thwart God's plan, even though they know it is true, less than just those who deny this experience they have. Now, that being said, I, I don't think that that's a wise way to go about denying anything that you know is true either, right? If you deny right. the light that you have, you will, you will be condemned for that. Yeah, right. So, um, oh, and I did find, find the quote just to back it up because I, I probably shouldn't be throwing quotes out that I'm paraphrasing and don't have a reference for on here. But um, this one is that I was thinking of is Orson F. Whitney, and he said it in uh, 1920. But he said, um, such people have placed themselves outside the redemptive powers of Christ they cannot partake of his mercy because they cannot incline themselves to repent, having totally lost the spirit of God. Their sin is an offense so heinous that the sinner is unable to repent. And this is what makes his case hopeless. If he could repent, he could be forgiven, but being incapable of repentance, he cannot be reached by the pardoning power. And I think maybe that's referenced in the miracle of forgiveness um, by President Kimball. So I, I don't know if that's where I heard it first, but that's the, the reference to it. So, um, Man, how did we get on that uh, tangent? Uh, where did I even bring that up? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> knowing God's, uh, knowing it by the spirit um, over the physical touch, right? Handling something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I right. think I may have interrupted you when you were talking about how apostles don't have to see Christ to be a witness of him. And then I was like interjecting that. Anyway, so <laughs> where do we need to tie this back to? <laughs> Um, you can tie it back to all of us have testimonies of God to some degree, <laughs> right? Uh, even those who, who often deny even the, the possibility of him existing um, can obtain these testimonies, right? But those testimonies are at variation of each other, right? Some are much stronger than others. And there are some experiences that all of us can enjoy that are not reserved for apostles or prophets or anyone that you can be blessed with too, so long as you are diligent and faithful. Um, and, and more often than not, it seems like you have to seek those blessings. Um, but I, I, I think that uh, so far as we live our lives as righteously as we can, uh, we will make our calling election sure, whether in this life or in the next. And uh, those who are diligent enough to do so in this life likely will enjoy that second comforter to come visit them and enjoy a, tangible experience uh, like those Nephites of old. Okay. I like it. Thanks for tying up all those loose ends. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think we've, we've had some good stuff here. And um, for the question of anyone who wants to know God and really seeks this passionately and, um, you know, is sometimes struggling with the, the difficulty of it because it is a process and it is an ongoing thing. It's not just a, you know, a, a simple single act i think it's uh, something that has to be worked for and um um anyway so how do you get here if you're just a normal average person member of the church or whatever um i think first off don't be dis um disheartened by the lack of hearing about many people who have had this experience i think if you search for it you'll find that many people have and they talk about it but also, I think it's very sacred, and there's probably a reason why, you know, many people, uh, even people who aren't apostles, have probably had an experience where they can come to know Christ. But it's not something you just, you know, cast your pearls before swine. You don't post it on Facebook. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, it can be kind of a predicament we find ourselves in when we're, we're seeking this, this um, experience in life and wondering how to get there because there's not much on it. Um, but anyway, I think we've talked about this a little, Kate, already, of how to, how to search for it in people's testimonies and conference and stuff when they say, I know him, and they testify of him, and search their life, study them, see what things they did, and I think that will help. And, and this is something I still seek in my life, and I, I do look forward to this experience and seek, seek to have it, as I think we all should. So... Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts on that part, Cade? The kind of practical uh, suggestions for people who are seeking this and how they can actually have this experience in their lives? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, it's, it's exactly what, you, what you've been talking about, right? I think that I, I think that we can really enjoy more blessings than we often let ourselves believe. 
right? God is way more willing to give so much more than we think, right? Jesus says, you know, if, if uh, you know, if you guys give good gifts to your children, you know, how, how much more should, you know, Heavenly Father, who is good, give gifts to his children, right? And, and Joseph Smith talks over and over again, and he's like, you know, you, you have to... It, to try to stop blessing from flowing down upon the Latter-day Saints is like sticking your arm out to try to stop the, the Mississippi River, right? And, and and that's just the simple fact of things that truly, if you go out and you just believe in these things, that is a huge step to take sometimes. But if you just even believe that they can happen, right, then I think you'll enjoy them, right? If you go out like like some and say, you know, Lord, I believe, help thou with my unbelief, right? But But if you're actively pursuing it with a faith, which which requires action, which requires movement in your, your soul, in your heart, and often physically and mentally as well, right? That so long as you're pursuing that path and pursuing that which is right, you will enjoy blessings that I think you don't even think that you could ever receive. Yeah, I like that thought a lot. Um, yeah, God is, I, th- I agree with you. I think he is much more merciful and willing to bless us, give us knowledge. Um, if we just ask, sometimes I think we feel kind of ashamed or not worthy of the blessings he's willing to give us, but um, just ask, see how much he actually loves you by, you know, him extending that mercy when you just reach out and let him, let him bless you. All right. Um, any other thoughts you want to add here? I guess we're, we're getting a little coming up on a, the time a little bit, uh, not too long, but, uh, any other thoughts you wanted to add here, Cade? Um, I'm trying to think there, there was a, a quotation I saw by Brigham Young off to see if I can try to find it in, in the next little bit, but, uh, long story short, he, he quotes to some degree, kind of what the prophet taught over and over again, that you can't be saved off of someone else's faith or someone else's knowledge or someone else's testimony right you just can't that's how life works everything is individual just like the the parable of the ten virgins right if you if you don't have that candlelight burning um you can't share it with others it's something that that's impossible right to to give to someone else and i i think that uh that you know you it's okay right one of the gifts of the spirit that it even talks about is is to believe others testimonies of jesus christ but i i do believe too that that's more of a temporary gift than not right you 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 can't ever be saved off of someone else's belief and uh so go out and and find what you believe right find out how how strong your testimony is and no matter where you're at i can almost guarantee you you can always strengthen it um so take those paths put those things upon the altar that you don't want to put on the altar Usually the things that are hardest to do are the ones that you probably ought to do first. Um, and I think that as we live those covenants and uh, enjoy and do those things, which we have promised to do that we will enjoy more blessings than we can ever imagine. Mm. Yeah. I like that. Um, I'll give you a second to look up that quote by saying, um, you know, I, I do think, yes, our, our light um, is associated with our faith and our, our heedance to God's commandments or, or the way we heed his commandments. I don't know if heedance is a word, but uh, <laughs> uh, it reminds me of DNC 93 talks a lot about this, how, um, you know, as you keep the commandments, your truth and light will grow and you, you receive more. Um, and DNC 5024 um, is kind of like one of those Psalms. I forgot which Psalm it is, but it talks about as you keep the commandments, the truth grows brighter and brighter until the perfect day. Um, and I think that's how it is. You know, it's like the parable of the 10 virgins. You gain your light and, you know, it's, it's not something that you can just transfer and share to someone when the time is crucial and it's needed. Um, it's something you have to gain individually. Um, also, 1 John 2, 4, this kind of ties into what the question was about knowing God. It says, he that saith, I know him, meaning I know God, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And that's a pretty stark verse because it's saying, if you don't keep the commandments and you say you know God, you're a liar. So either you don't know what it means to know him or you're not keeping the commandments, you know, and probably both of those things aren't true for a lot of us (laughs) that we know him or that we're keeping all (laughs) the commandments to the extent that we should. Um, But anyway, I think that just shows the, the depth of each of those things to know God and what it means to keep his commandments. Um, So anyway, did I give you enough time to, find your quote 
Um, I don't think I was able to find it. I was looking, but uh, anyway, that, they, that, that's the summation of it at least. But um, the, the cool thing about the gospel, though, is it, it does lie on that uh, testimony of witnesses, right? And we have plenty of modern ones that live today, so you don't have to dig up some dirt and find some old ones written on some old books. As great as they are, it's nice to have living oracles and, and living prophets and apostles that truly do um, do bring that in our day today. Yeah, I like it. Okay, well, I hope you guys uh, feel like your, your faith is built, your knowledge is increased, and uh, you're, you're given some steps and advice to, to come closer to God. You know, sometimes we, we get caught up a lot in the, the doctrinal things, and um, I think these, these are important to talk about, but also we do hope that this builds your guys' faith. Um, we love doing this, builds our faith, and uh, as you guys listen, hope you feel the Spirit and can apply things to your life. So we'll have another episode uh, next week, and we appreciate you guys joining us this week. Thanks. Bye.